Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hada! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. I think mothers and fathers made up the gods because they wanted their children to sleep through the night. I saw a vision in the flames. Great battle in the snow. I saw it. And you saw whatever she gave birth to. I never believed, but when you see the truth, when it's right there in front of you, as real as these iron bars, how can you deny her God is real? Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished pledging his life to defend this podcast's beauty, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. (laughs) I've slaughtered many lambs and none have seen the blade. That was not at all creepy or weird. Jason, we are the simplest podcasters that anyone will ever meet. <laughs> yes. Like Dario, we we only do what we want to do. And, you know, right. we decided that we want to rewatch all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, deep dive one episode at a time. We are nearing the halfway mark. Spoiler warning for all of you. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. So grab your flag and a wine, draw your coin, It's time to break down Season 3, Episode 8, Second Sons. Jason, it's hard to collect wages from a corpse, or so I hear. So while we're all still living, let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this eighth installment by taking a quick trip down our own King's Road. Kick it off. In the Riverlands, Arya wakes early picks up a rock and attempts to cave in the hound's head. He wakes up and says, I'll give you one chance to kill me, but that's it. In the meantime, he's taking her to the twins where the Starks have gathered for Edmure's wedding. Over in Yunkai, some charming folk gathering for some charming chat. Khaleesi treats with the leadership of the sellsword mercenary group, the Second Sons, currently employed by the slavers of Yunkai. Her offer, pretty simple. Switch sides. Live to spend your money. Yes. The Second Sons debate Danny's offer. They decide to pick one among them, slip into her tent, and assassinate her. This is what the just lovely fella, Miro, the Titan's <laughs> bastard, decides would be the proper course of yeah. action. Dario draws the Bravosi coin of Bravosi does a deed. <laughs> Later. Dario sneaks into the Khaleesi's tent, dresses an unsullied, just as he's supposed to do. But a little change of plans. Instead of taking her out, he gives her a little gift. The heads of the Second Son captains. He swears his allegiance, his life, and the Second Sons to her cause. On Dragonstone, Melisandre brings Gendry to meet Stannis. Stannis agrees the young man does indeed resemble Robert. 
Half Robert, half Logborn. <laughs> in the dungeons, Davos's reading skills are improving. Stannis comes down to check on him. Melisandre's recent independence streak as the king reevaluating his onion knight. He, is, he agrees to free his hand as long as Davos agrees to never to raise his to Melisandre's. Melisandre again. Mel has slaughtered many lambs, and Gendry is to be next. But first, she must sample his king's fluids. She gets him <laughs> drunk on good wine, bangs him out, drops some leeches on his chest and balls. Stannis takes the leeches and drops them into a brazier, each time reciting the name of a usurper. Rob Stark, Baylon Greyjoy, Joffrey. Uh, guys, in King's Landing, it's wedding day. Hey! I wonder what Tyrion and Sansa registered for. Uh, not too many people here are super happy, despite no. both parties being pretty hesitant here. The wedding goes as smoothly as it possibly can, you know, by which we mean the... Uh, no one died. And by Game of Thrones wedding standards, that's like pretty dope. Yep. Uh, Tyrion, not without incident, though, he does threaten to cut off Joffrey's royal manhood <laughs> uh, after he grows tired of the boy's antics. It should be said that Tyrion is quite drunk at this point. Yeah, absolutely shit-faced. Tywin still focused on the goal. Tyrion needs to put a baby into Sansa ASAP. Right. Further the line, secure the north. But instead, Tyrion gets even more drunk than he already was. Decides not to share Sansa's bed. Passes out on a little bench. Much to Shay's eventual delight. Yeah. Beyond the wall, Sam and Gilly make camp at an abandoned wildling hovel near a heart tree. They talk about possible names for the baby. The crows in the heart tree outside begin riotously squawking. Then they go quiet. The temperature drops. You know, you know what that means. A white walker mm -hmm. is here. For the baby. Sam kills it with a dragon glass dagger. Slayer! Slayer! Jason, yes. the White Walker didn't see that dagger. If a lamb sees a knife. If a lamb sees a knife, she panics. She panics. We <laughs> cannot abide any fouled flavor here. We need a smart approach. We need panic-free meat. And that That's gets us right. to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is committing. Plenty of ambitious climbers in Westeros, right? Just ask Cersei. She's, she's happy to tell you all about it. And to get what they want, these people, they cannot just kind of like ease into the game. They've got to put all their pieces on the board or all their leeches on the body, whatever the case may be. And we see a lot of full-on commitment in this episode. We see a lot of people who are less successful at achieving their aims sort of wavering. So let's explore all that and let's start where the most activity in this episode actually took place on Dragonstone. Melisandre, Stannis, Davos, and Gendry. What a party they're having. Yeah. Mel, Stannis, Davos, and Gendry. What a collection. Mel is the true believer. Stannis is kind of the utilitarian. He'll do whatever it takes, whatever works. Uh, Davos believes uh, in his eyes, and Gendry is just, you know, a kid virgin, like, out on the town. Mel is— Can I pause right yeah. away? Just have to. How is Gendry a virgin? Yeah, it's weird, right? Sorry, but like you guys he's have like, seen Gendry, yeah, right? He's like a hot guy who spends his days hammering out steel, he's lives got in the, the big city, rippling muscles. Yeah, how did that a happen? A lot of shit goes down over a bowl of brown. I'm he's just probably saying. got a lot. Of, he's probably got some coin in his pocket too. You know, it's very like, strange. One of the weirdest things that that happens at any point in this story. All right, continue. Yeah. So Melisandre isn't just committed to her agenda; she's committed to uh, carrying it out with the full deception necessary. 
Um, after Mel sends Gendry to his chambers, Stannis asks, why are we bathing and clothing this guy? Why are we uh, pampering him when basically you're going to kill him at the end of this? Good question. And, uh, you know, he says, if it needs to be done, just do it. Don't torture the poor boy, Mel says. And this is one of the creepiest things that has ever been said on this show. High bar. If the lamb sees the knife, she panics. Her panic seeps into the meat, darkens it, fouls the flavor. You've slaughtered many lambs, and none have seen the blade. Wow. <laughs> That's what Zach says to us when he's trying to get us to actually hit our time marks. Yes. Stannis, meanwhile, is hedging his bets. I mean, he's been doing this the whole time. For a guy who's this kind of unflexible, unwavering guy, he's quite willing to hedge his bets. Right. Um, Stannis, you know, he's just not sure. He The reason he goes down to see Davos is because, hmm, you know, this thing with Mel is getting a little out of control. Right. Let's see what Davos has to say and kind of counterbalance it. Love how uh, Davos sees that and immediately calls him out on it right away. Immediately. He says, you know, you knew I'd counsel restraint. You came to hear me say it because you believe it yourself. You're not a man who slaughters innocence for gain or glory. That may or may yeah. not be true. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but Stannis wants to... Uh, Shireen would like a word from the future. Yeah, Guy wants to hear both sides, at least right now. The one thing he cannot commit to at all is walking away. He's come too far. He's, right. you know, listen, he's uh, he's fathered a smoke baby. He's killed his own brother, or the smoke baby did. He invaded King's Landing, or at least tried to. Um, so he can't walk away. And he says, you know, how many boys live in Westeros? How many girls? How many men? How many women? The darkness will devour them all. She says. Mm -hmm. She says. Yeah. The night that never ends, unless I triumph, I never asked for this, no more than I asked to be king. We do not choose our destiny, but we must do our duty, no? Great or small, we must do our duty. What's one bastard boy against the kingdom? This is what it looks like when indecision and doubt creep in. And it's interesting because <laughs> you notice the way he says, she says. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, this story that she's telling him, he's using it himself as a tool to get him fired up to do the thing that he really wants. Um, so, you know, what's keeping him... In Mel's presence, what's keeping them together, it's not really true belief. It's pragmatism. If you see it, it must be so. It's weirdly the, you know, it's the opposite of faith. What's going to work for me? What's going to get me to the place that I need to go? This right. thing? Okay, I'm, I don't really believe in it, but if it works, it works. Um, and he says, you know, I saw a vision in the flames, a great battle in the snow. I saw it. And you saw whatever she gave birth to. I never believed it. But when you see the truth, when it's right there in front of you, as real as these iron bars, how can you deny her God is real? You know, and that's... That's Stannis to a T. He's not, he's not a true believer. He's not a, a great lover of R'hllor, but R'hllor can get him there. He can get him there. Um, <laughs> Mel is not that way. Mel is committed. Totally. She says, she says, there are no mistakes, not for us. A God is real or he's not. You only need eyes to see death is coming for everyone and everything. A darkness that will swallow the dawn. And we can stop it, you and I. Let me show you what you have inside you. Come fight death with me. I Complete mean, conviction. That is a sales pitch, guys. It, small, small question. Sure. Something that I noticed rewatching this. When Gendry is rightly protesting about the placement <laughs> of the leeches right. and the interruption of a certain holy act. Yes. Uh, Melisandre says at this point, you can blame <laughs> Sir Davos. He didn't believe in the power of King's blood. He wanted a demonstration. Mm. It, genuinely asking here, like, is your read on that? that her plan was initially from the jump to kill Gendry, to sacrifice him fully, and that she, the leeches are her pared back concession after Davos mm. kind of convinces Stannis to like 
pump the brakes a little bit? Or was she always going to do this as a first step in, in Showland, at a, least? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, yeah, I think maybe she did pump the brakes and she's thinking, hmm, Davos is my counterbalance in this in this relationship. And if I can get him believing in what I do. Right. That's a that's Clearer a win path. for me. Yeah. Plenty of wins for for Danny. Yeah. In this episode. Danny and Dario. Dario in our lives at last. Let's just let's other have, Dario. Yeah, let's have a little very quick showdown <laughs> here because we agree on a lot, but we do not agree on which Dario is the superior Dario. Your team no, original well, Dario. I liked I I liked original Dario in that he seemed to have something of book Dario within him, whether it's the Fabio look or whatever it is. There there was a certain uh kind of uh, cheesecake quality to him <laughs> that I uh, that I got from book version of Dario. Whereas Michael Hoosman, who I think is great and I think has really become show Dario, obviously, has a, just a different vibe to him. Yeah, a better vibe. <laughs> a sexier vibe. I mean, the thing is, because like book Dario is not good. You know what I mean? Like he's not a really a good dude. I think OG Dario is just too much of like a pretty boy. Right. I look at him and I'm like, this is a Barbie doll, not. Well, because that's. The, where's I mean, your trident right. beard? Yeah. Where's the turquoise hair dye? Well, they didn't do any of that. In, I know. In any but of the like. Show, and I, that makes me kind of yeah. sad. All right. All right. Danny and Dario. Yeah. Danny in this episode really committing. We've seen her sort of making progress along this path, but she is committing fully to being a badass. Right. right? When the Titans bastard comes at her with some. <sighs> Really aggressively vulgar <laughs> greetings, basically. Right. This is this is you wanna you wanna run through his I'll lines? Try, here? I'll try it with my best Jason Statham like <laughs> cognitive. I swear I fucked you once in a pleasure house in lace. Jora says, mind your tongue. Why? I don't mind hers. She licks my ass like she was born into <laughs> it. <laughs> I get Oh, great stuff. Yeah. Fam- wow. Family In programming. In the presence of the queen, guys. <laughs> family programming here. Danny fires back. She's not cowed by this. She's right. not intimidated. She oh, says, yeah, give no. me your second sons and I may not have you gelded. <laughs> I like, love it. She's not, it's not even just that she's standing up for herself. She's literally, she's going yeah. for the same like genital driven humor that he is, which is awesome. She, the thing I love about her uh, demeanor in this is she's, Almost amused by it. Oh, She's yeah. like, oh, this is interesting. She's building her own ability to judge yeah. character, right? And so she can sort of put on a facade and a face, hang with him in the course of this conversation. And yeah. then when they leave at the end, she can turn to Barristan and say, if it comes to battle, right. kill that one first. Like she's not Gladly, my queen. she's not fooled by this at all. And then, you know, Dario, he's kind of he's challenging too, right? He calls out that they're lying about the number of troops they have. Right. You know, you have eight thousand, not ten thousand. And you know, how are you planning on doing this? Basically, you don't have X, Y, and Z, a laundry list of all the things she doesn't have. And Danny fires back again right away. A fortnight ago, I had no army. Mm. A year ago, I had no dragons, a.k.a. don't fuck with me. Right. Shades of the same thing she was saying to our boy, the Spice King, back <laughs> the, in Karth. You know, my, my dreams are different, right? right? My dreams come true. Don't get in my way. And Dario, he's committed too, right? We learned so oh, yes, much about him in the course of this episode. I will say it's very effective kind of instant character building. Like, he's committed to 
a certain code, a way of life, a, a philosophy. He right. has a philosophy. He's not just a sword, right? right? When the Second Son leadership goes back to their little tent and they're talking about what to do here, you know, he says to Miro, the gods gave men two gifts to entertain ourselves before we die. The thrill of fucking a woman who wants to be fucked and the thrill of killing a man <laughs> who wants to kill you. So Miro's reply is, you'll die young. Right. He hears that and he's just like, you will die. Right. I think the audience's reply listening to that is, I understand you fully and completely right. based on one sentence. That right. is how pure his worldview is. And then what does he do? He kills his his colleagues. Right. right? Step one. <laughs> Severs their heads. Right. And when he sneaks into Danny's tent, she's in a bath, of course. <laughs> so it's a very intimate, right. intimate strategic session here. And his pitch to her to get her to trust him because she rightly says, uh, you just killed your own right. partners. Why should I trust you, right? His pitch is, I'm more committed to you than I am to them. Right. Essentially, that's kind of what it boils down to, right? He says, we had, di we had philosophical differences over what? Your beauty it meant more to me than it did to them. You're a strange man. I'm the simplest man you'll ever meet. It's I true. only do what I want to do. She says, this is supposed to impress me. He says, yes. Why would I trust a man who murders his comrades? They ordered me to murder you. I told them I preferred not to. They told me I had no choice. I love the way he says this I part. I told them I'm Dario Naharis. I always have a choice. He is not going to fuck with people who are getting in his way. Yeah. He's going to take them out of his way, get any obstruction out of his path, commit to the thing that he believes in. He is not a man of half measures. We, we, we return frequently to this, you know, Mike from Breaking Bad idea, half measures, full right. measures, right? Dario, half measures are not a part of his world <laughs> at all. No. He was presented with a dilemma. Diplomacy wasn't really an option no. here. He couldn't just abandon right. his position and go work with Danny. He had to decapitate the captains of the Second Son, go all in. And he goes all in again when he's swearing his allegiance to Danny. It's not just, sure, I'll help you out with this one mission and see how it goes. It's the Second Sons are yours, and so is Darian Harris. My swords are yours. My life is yours. My heart is yeah. yours. He's not just a, a common sellsword in this sense, right? He is giving her his entire life and being. Very, very charming. Very charming. The sanctity of marriage mm. is a commitment. Yeah. I've heard that. Dario uh, would like to make that kind of commitment Tywin to and Tyrion and Sansa all together are committing to uh, different things. Tywin is committed to the legacy, the Lannisters. Tyrion is committed to getting drunk. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Sansa is committed to just trying to survive the next 30 seconds in King's Landing all the time. You know, they... Tyrion and Sansa are committed to each other because they don't have a choice. This is a, what's the, I guess it would be like a crossbow marriage. Is that what? <laughs> um, they hate this. They both feel aggrieved by this. Um, Tyrion tries to be as forthcoming about his, about his feelings as he can. He tells, you know, I'm just trying to say very badly, I know how you feel. And Sansa says, I doubt that very much, my lord. Yeah, I, I don't Agonizing moment. I don't think you know how it feels to watch your father executed in front of you after he confesses, how it feels to uh, be abused by the right. king. If for all of Tyrion's aversion yeah. to this idea, and to his credit, he has fought it, Yeah, he ultimately, from anyone's perspective, stands to gain. Yes. This right? Is, right. This is about securing the north, beautiful wife, an heir. 
all Sansa is is a pawn in their game, right. and she knows it, and that's a debilitating feeling. And Tywin, meanwhile, is thinking, hey, this is great. This is a win. You just got to do your job, Tyrion, and that job is make a baby. Yeah. Make, iconic, iconic conversation uh, between father and son here. Tywin comes up as Tyrion is topping off his goblet again. Oh, man. Uh, and says, your wife needs a child, a Lannister child, just to make sure, just to underline that. <gasps> right. As soon as possible. If you're going to give her one, you need to perform. <laughs> um, this has this is important for Tywin because, uh, you know, anything can happen in this life. People die, invasions happen, uh, people drop dead, get poisoned, the king uh, tries to assassinate you. Uh, so you got to make sure that the next generation is secure. And that means, Tyrion, lay off the wine mm -hmm. and go make a baby. Tyrion, obviously, is, is not having this. And uh, among his numerous other worries, he's also got Joffrey, yeah. a.k.a. the king, who's already tried to kill him once, at least once that we know about. He's trying to get him to try and do it again. He says, as Joffrey is um, <laughs> trying to instigate the betting ceremony, which is, it's kind of like this uh, ritual at the end of a wedding. Um, the guests pick up the bride and groom, the women take the groom, the men take the bride, tear off their clothes and carry them to the bedding chamber where uh, sex is supposed to take place right afterwards. So Joffrey's trying to get this going because he loves to humiliate his uncle and Tyrion says, then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock and he jabs, jabs, a, dagger. <laughs> jabs a dagger into the <laughs> tabletop. Which, you know, that's threatening the king. You can get executed for that. What did you say? And by the way, shades of uh, your meat is bloody tough. Mm -hmm. And Tyrion, you know, he's also committed to trying to be the charming, good person, tweak daddy guy that he <laughs> has been for this entire series. He gets into the bedding chamber and says, Ken, well, Ken, won't. If my father wants someone to get fucked, I know where he can start. I won't show your bed. Not until you want me to. And what if I never want you to? Oof. Then he raises his goblet. And so my watch begins. Cersei. She. <laughs> you know, Marjorie comes up during the Sept Baylor before the wedding, making small talk. Yeah. You know, a little comment about a gown, just normal <laughs> pre wedding. You look stuff. radiant, Your Grace. It's cocktail hour, right. there are hors d'oeuvres. What else are you supposed to talk right, to yeah. talk about over the pigs in the blanket? And Cersei is just not here for it. She dives right yeah. into reciting the story of House Rain, the reigns of right. Castamere. Guys, stop us if you've heard us mention <laughs> right. before that this song is coming up on the show, right? And she uses this as kind of like very, very thinly veiled story time, but is it, uh, is really, really, it's like the thinnest <laughs> veil. It's the thinnest it's veil. You can see the bride's face fully <laughs> through it. It is a clear threat. Did I ever tell you the story about how my father killed an entire <laughs> family? <laughs> You're the second richest family in the realm, aren't yeah. you? Like, you have some similarities with this right. entire house that we took out. She uses the phrase ambitious climbers, which yeah. is really, really great. She's saying, to Marjorie, I know what you're about. 
I know what House Tyrell is about. And this story is fully a fear tactic, right? And now the reins weep over their halls and not a soul to hear. And then she tacks on for good measure at the end here, just for emphasis. If you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep, which is not a normal thing to say to your soon-to-be daughter-in-law. Now, this is, of course, also the show's way of committing yet again to priming us. Castamir, what are we hearing over and over again? We hear the song playing. Now we hear people talking about it. Next episode, we're going to hear it again, and they want to make sure we're ready for it. I love when Loris... Saw it, like steals himself a little bit, like, you know, cups his hand against his face and, and checks his breath and then, uh, you know, make sure he doesn't have any spinach in his teeth and walks up to Cersei like, so, and she's like, fuck off. Nope. My father once told me, <laughs> yeah. nobody cares what your father once told you. <laughs> and then just walks away. So sad. Okay. Oh, boy. Hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Um, Arya, listen, she recites a list of people that she wants to murder every night and probably every morning, probably every time she goes to the bathroom. (laughs) Uh, She's committed. She's committed. You can tell by the way that she picks up a rock and is like, I'm about to commit a murder, like cold-blooded right here, right now, that she's committed. And the Hound, (laughs) the Hound takes it in stride. He's basically giving her a lesson. He's like, sure, on the one hand, you're about to try to bash my skull. And on the other hand, let me teach you why it's important to commit, right? When he says, I'll give you one try, girl. Kill me and you're free. But if I live, I'll break both your hands. Go on, hit me hard. That's akin to saying... Go all in here because you're not going to get another chance. Right. I mean, it's just like what Dario says, Um, trying to kill a man who's trying to kill you. People don't want to die, Arya. So if you're going to do it, you really got to go through with it. You got to go all the way. The Hound, meanwhile, is committed to rejecting his entire past life in the service of King Joffrey in the realm. Uh, He says again, fuck Joffrey, fuck the queen. That's the red fork. I'm taking you to the twins. Just wish these two could have stayed together for a little longer. They were great together. Yeah, really she good. learned a lot from him, she whether did. she wants to admit it or she not. She did. Quite an apt pupil. Quite a quite a good maester in his own right here. Yeah. All right, Jason. Yes. We didn't talk about Sam yet, but he is committed as well. He's committed to learning to build a fire, right? <laughs> to learning the difference between a, a wink and a blink, <laughs> to ensuring that sure. Gilly not name her baby after Sam's cruel father, Randall, yes. and most crucially, to stabbing a White Walker to death with the obsidian dagger that Sam found, along with Ed and Gren, up at the fist of the first men. This seems like a big deal, guys. Sam just killed a walker. We need to talk about this in great detail. We need to talk about the weapon that allowed him to do this. This was a last-ditch effort. The walker has shattered, gra- grabbed Sam's sword and shattered it. Sam is on the ground, yeah. and he sees the walker going toward Gillian and the baby, and it's, it's self-preservation. It's a final instinct. He reaches into his furs. He pulls out his dagger. He runs. He plunges it into his back. The walker lets out a death shriek and explodes. This is important. We need to understand how this dagger enabled this to happen. Let's assemble the conclave. Let's head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about 
Dragonglass. Dragonglass is simply obsidian, a naturally occurring glass formed by rapidly cooling lava. Um, it it's, exists in the real world, although obviously the Westeros version probably has properties that the, that the Earth version does not. Um, the Maesters describe it as being forged in the fires of the gods far below the Earth, and that's exactly right. The Valerians called the substance, and I'm not, my pronunciation of High Valerian, not great, but I'll try. <laughs> uh, they called the substance Xertes Perzis, frozen fire. Beautiful. Um, the glass is black and brittle breaking when napped just so into jagged flakes, which can be fashioned to nasty little shiv-like daggers, which Sam used, arrowheads, and spear points. It's one of the few substances, along with Valerian steel, and one assumes also dragonfire, which can kill white walkers, obviously. Super important. Mm -hmm. And in keeping with the theme of, of this great clash between fire and ice. The children of the forest were known as skillful artisans with dragonglass, and they used obsidian weapons frequently. And surely it was they that taught the first men in the nascent Night's Watch about its white walker slaying properties, one of the key turning points in the battle to end the long night. In the earliest days of the watch, maybe even within living memory of the, of the long night, the children uh, supplied the brothers with a hundred dragonglass daggers a year. Valerians used dragonglass for other mysterious purposes. They fashioned um, these candles out of it, which I think we've talked about before uh, when I was talking about the maesters. They fashioned these shiny black glass candles out of it. And supposedly the Valerians could communicate instantaneously over long distances using these candles somehow uh, would harness magic in a way that we don't quite understand. Um, so... Seeing how there are less than a dozen known Valerian steel weapons in the Seven Kings, Dragonglass will be important yes. in the war to come. Yes, it will. We're going to need to kill White Walkers somehow. Um, people are going to need to be armed. Not everybody has dragons. Um, this is how you're going to do it. <laughs> Good news. Dragonstone, because it is the site of an active volcano, has lots of Dragonglass, has great big boulders of the stuff, especially underneath in the caverns underneath the castle. Enough to equip an army? Mm, unsure, but we hope so. And we can also assume that another deposit of the stuff would be in Valeria, which, you know, was made up of 14 great volcanoes called the 14 Flames. Of course, you'd have to be brave enough to travel to Valeria, number one, brave the curses that are said to uh, attach to anyone who goes there. And of course, uh, the place is lousy with stone men. Or you just have to be Jorah, already covered <laughs> right. in grayscale, and just head right in. Easy. It's also, as, as I stated before, possible that dragonfire can create dragonglass. Maybe if they breathe on the correct type of rock enough that it melts. Um, we don't know that, but it's it's been said in the world that that's possible. Obviously, dragons haven't been around to test this theory in quite a while. And Dragons do not appear to have been around during the long night, but this is something that, that the small folk have talked about. Um, so that's another possibility on on how to supply an army with dragon glass. But we'll certainly find out sooner or later whether that works. Into this, this is good stuff, man. We're, go. we're getting right to the the Great War. The thick Can't of wait. It. This is the important shit. This you is know? the real shit. This, this is what's really going on, guys. This is a little more important than boner talk at the wedding feast, <laughs> and yet. There's a lot of that, too, you know, and we yes. we can engage in juvenile attempts to make Taiwan uncomfortable, but we will do our duty. That's right. And 
our duty is to, to head to the sept right now, to bathe in the light of the seven. So let's share seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style. Number one, Danny's sparring with Mero and the captains of the Second Sons on sellsword philosophy. She says, a man who fights for gold can't afford to lose to a girl. Ah, very observant. Shouts to the Storm Crows, too. Yeah. yeah. Good dudes. Book readers, man. Number two, an incredible moment in Stannis' string of, of speech making here. He has a lot of really good lines and actually kind of poignant ideas that he's, you know, sharing with Davos when he's kind of like he's talking himself into it as much right. as anything. And one of the things he says is, I never asked for this no more than I asked to be king. Dude, what the I fuck? Know, it's literally all you talk about. This fucking guy. How many times has he asked to be king? It's the only thing we've heard about more than Stannis asking Everyone to be king. Everyone who opposes me is my foes. It is mine. Be before me or be destroyed. Um, the wine show with Melisandre and Gendry. I would watch. I love this. Where she's, you know, it's quite incredible when you get around real wealth. <laughs> she says to him, and then gives him this uh, incredible wine. He says, "Oh, that's good. That's really good." She asks <laughs> him, uh, "Where do you think it's from?" And says, "Doesn't matter, does it? It's the real thing, or it's not. You only need your tongue to tell you the difference." Now give me your blood. <laughs> Incredible. All right, number four. I, I, sorry to sneak in the, the huge question in the middle yeah. of the seven here, but the usurper Rob Stark, the usurper Balon Greyjoy, the usurper Joffrey Baratheon. Uh, spoiler alert, guys. Uh, all these people are dead now. Is this a coincidence, right? Davos tells us. Right. I mean, one of the lovely bits of wisdom that we glean from Davos in season three is in war, men die all the time. Right. Right. Is this a coincidence or is this really Mel and the Lord of Light? This is part of the stuff that makes the story great is you you just don't know. Prophecies have multiple, you know, interpretations, as do religions, and it's just hard to tell. It is really, in some ways, George's greatest masterstroke. Yeah. More than all the character development, more than all the world building, creating languages, the depth of the mythology, the number of plot lines he's stringing, it's it's that. Yeah. It's that there are so many moments and situations and things where you could ultimately be convinced by any number of yeah. outcomes through this many pages and this right. many hours. That's, that's really incredible. It's a marvel. I mean, even Thoros doesn't know how he brings right. Beric back to they life. They were the only words I knew, right? He was my friend and he was dead and they were the only words I knew. It's yep. great stuff. All right, number five. Olena to Marjorie and Loras. This is... Talking about the uh, revamped family tree, the new family tree that's about to uh, occur because of the union of the Tyrells and the Lannisters. But your brother will become your father-in-law. That much is beyond dispute. <laughs> this is after, uh, you know, going through, well, let's see. Now that's, you know, uh, mm -hmm. this is hilarious. All right, number six. <sighs> Cersei. She does occasionally try her best, and she attempts she? <laughs> very, very briefly to get Joffrey to go talk to Marjorie. You right. know, your bride-to-be. Go, go have a chat. Instead of antagonizing Sansa or Tyrion, what's Joffrey's response? Hand waves the suggestion. He says, I've got a lifetime for that. Sorry, dude. Yep. That is incorrect. There's a lot of, there's a shocking amount of lifespan-related arrogance. Oh, yeah. In this show, in this story, considering these people know that the one reality of their world is that people die all the time. Very surprising. All right, number seven. Bring us home here. Gilly and Sam talking about names for the baby. Gilly throws out, well, what about Cresta? Right. <laughs> it's like, 
Dude. <laughs> I guess, well, you know, in her defense, she, she says, I don't know any names. Yes, yeah, she doesn't know. <laughs> not, not around a yeah, lot of boys. She knows Craster, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's pretty much it. Sam did not want Gilly to name her baby Randall. Yeah, and good, good we do not want to name anyone but the Slayer our champion. Each episode, we are going to honor the person who played the game the best advanced his or her cause in some tangible way, or, I don't know, took out a fucking white walker with an obsidian dagger. This week, no other choice here, guys. The winner of our champion's purse is... Sam the Slayer! Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the first time in eight to... 10,000 years that someone's killed a White Walker. This is gigantic. This is huge. Uh, this is important because Sam is able to impart the knowledge of how he did it to other people. Um, White Walkers, obviously, extremely difficult to kill, very long lived. They can shatter steel swords, they can raise the dead with a gesture. Um, God, these guys are tough to take down. Oh, wait, Dragon Glass. And I've got like 10. Daggers, that's not enough, but it's enough for right now. Uh, there's so many things I love about this. One of the most satisfying things about rewatching the show or rereading the books in a compressed time frame is watching Sam's growth as a yeah. character. Like, I know he's a punchline for a lot of people. A lot of people make fun of him. I've always loved him. Yeah. And a moment like this or, the you know, it's, it's different. The specifics are different in the book, but ultimately he still is Sam the Slayer. He yeah. takes out a walker. This moment. In the show, the way the show scripts it, where he is running to protect. He doesn't yeah. care about his own life. And what what's He our... finds the fighter finally inside exactly. of himself. It's like so beautiful because yeah. our first introduction to Sam is him. I'm a coward. Not just being a coward, yeah. announcing yeah. that I'm he's a coward. a coward, right? Gran is hard. They stop talking to him. Yeah, right. He's a coward. He's a craven. We're, we're all basically like polluted with his the taint of his cowardice. And to see the same character in the span of just three seasons go from that moment, not even being able to fight back in a Night's Watch training session, to running toward this vessel of yeah. death and Eternal destruction evil. is awesome. And it's the thing that we love about fantasy stories and the hero's journey in the hero's arc. Also, the closest avatar for George in his story mm -hmm. is Sam. You know, he, the nerdy, pudgy kid who loves to read, not physical, right. not a great fighter, bullied by everyone, finds his strength in books, in knowledge, exactly. in writing, rescues the girl. This is George R. R. Martin in your story. He's not a cripple. He's not a bastard, but right. he's a broken thing. Right. And he's healing himself. He's making yes. himself whole. It's beautiful. All right, guys, on that incredibly sappy but hopefully meaningful note, we're out. There are no mistakes. Not for Mel, not for this podcast. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing... Oh, boy. Season three, yeah. episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere. Guys, it's red wedding Oof. time. We are, we're going to cry, probably. Should just be prepared. It's going to be emotional and very intense. And until then, let's hold on to the levity where we can, okay? Just remember, if you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep.
Your grace, what a wonderful day. I will wrap the hem of my gown around your throat and pull it back until you choke.